Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Mark 9, 42 through 50. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Mark in your Bible. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell, where their worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. That is the word of the Lord for us today. Well, we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we will until uh, Advent starts, but this last section has, has had a lot to do with uh, well, questions of power and authority. Uh, we've kind of been over some of these things. Uh, Jesus has said he's going to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die, and he's, he's on his way there. This is the, kind of the track of this part of the Gospel of Mark. And his disciples don't really appreciate that he's going to do this, but that they're going to die because, you know, they're his friends and they have hopes that he's going to lead Israel out into salvation and in, in a very concrete and practical way. And uh, so they don't really fully understand what Jesus is going to do, but, you know, they begin to accept the fact that this is what's going to happen. So they argue amongst themselves about who is going to be, uh, who's going to take Jesus' place as leader of this movement. Uh, they ask if they can be on the right hand and left hand side or, you know, who's the greatest among them. And, and we talked about that, I think, uh, two weeks ago. And, and they're like stubborn little children. And Jesus is like, how long am I going to be with you, you faithless generation? Uh, so, so we have this kind of dynamic that's happening all through the, the gospel of Mark. Uh, that we don't, the disciples don't understand the nature of the kingdom of God. Uh, what God is bringing, making about, coming to make about, coming to bring about here and now. Uh, that the, the way that the world is in, in the way that, that power works where people oppress other people and all those kinds of things, that's not the way that it should be. I think we all know that, right? We're feeling that the, the world is broken and wrong. Uh, but that God is coming to bring a different kind of kingdom, a different kind of world, one in which well, we love each other in the way that Jesus loves us. And we do that fully and faithfully and, and that there's no brokenness and no, no hurt and no pain and all those kinds of things. Well, um, that's where, uh, if you look in your Bible, there's section headings and things like that. Uh, and if your Bible has red letters, you'll see that this is kind of all one continuous little uh, conversation that Jesus is having, having and, and they kind of all flow together, even though at times it may not seem that way. Uh, chapter and verse headings are a modern invention that's helped us to, to navigate the Bible, and they're put there for them, like, 
the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark did not be like, all right, chapter 4, verse 2. He didn't do that. Uh, in fact, if you look at a, uh, an actual manuscript, it's all squished together, and there's no spaces between words, which makes it really difficult to read, by the way. Uh, so I'm thankful for my English Bible, n- nonetheless. Um, uh, I really think, uh, I'm going to tell you where we're going because I think we might, it might be twisted, a twisted path to get there as is often the case with me because, my, because of the way my brain works and, and how it all makes sense to me. Uh, this, this passage that uh, Sam just read is ultimately about what I'm going to call spiritual arrogance. Uh, and uh, I think this gets worked out in two ways in this passage. Uh, the first way it gets worked out is that um, we have a tendency to define ourselves by, like, who we're against. Uh, that we might say, uh, I believe this way, I am right, and you are wrong. Uh, I am in, and whatever that might mean, I'm part of the kingdom of God, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. And because of the way you think and act, even though you might call yourself Christian, you are out. Actually, the, the, the passage directly before this one starts is uh, there's a, an, another guy that's going around, uh, around where Jesus is, and he's casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And the disciples are like, yo, Jesus, there's this guy out here, and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. And Jesus is like, if he's, he's doing these things in my name, and they're good things, like, if he's not against us, he's for us. You know, like, like he's, he's part of... It's part of God's movement in the world, even though you can't recognize it. Uh, and so I think, I think we have a tendency, and, and we'll get to this a little bit more, um, to make in and out groups. We're right, you're wrong. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about uh, different religions, right? I'm talking like within Christianity, right? More on that in a bit. Uh, the second way this gets worked out, the spiritual arrogance, is, well, this... I'm in, you're out, I'm right, you're wrong, gets worked out in kind of a, a judgmental hypocrisy uh, where we end up becoming too confident in who we are and maybe too confident in the faith that we have in God uh, that, that it becomes a mark of pride uh, rather than humility. It becomes something that we, well, we think we do right. And sometimes we become blind to the fact that, uh, well, we're hypocrites sometimes, Right? Uh, that the way we say that we live out our Christian faith isn't exactly how we end up doing that. So, spiritual arrogance, that's where we're headed. This is what's, uh, two ways. I'm, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm in, you're out. Uh, I'm living the Christian life right when I'm, I'm really not. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay, all right. Jesus starts, and, and this is the, the beginning of the passage. If, you, if any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and were thrown into the sea. Uh, we're going we're gonna to hang out here for just a little bit. But uh, one of the things I think is really important for us to understand is in, in this context in the Gospel of Mark, uh, little ones, one of these little ones, uh, isn't meaning like a small child uh, who is innocent and immature uh, and, and sweet and cuddly, right? Uh, in this context in Mark, uh, little ones means those who are new in their faith. Uh, people who have just kind of come to this movement that Jesus is starting and uh, are, are just, they're learning and they're, they're just new at it. They're immature in their faith. 
Uh, and so I think that's really important, and I think that flavors, for me at least, how the rest of this passage ends up getting worked out. Um, so uh, an important word here, though, is stumbling. And uh, the word that Mark uses actually literally means scandalized. Uh, and we can define that as to cause someone to cease believing, to fall into sin, or to take offense. Now, sure, Mark, Mark, uh, Mark's Jesus understands that, you know, like, if, if you actively work to, you know, corrupt someone who is new to faith, to, you know, to lead them into sin in all of the normal ways that we might think, I think Jesus has that in mind. But I think that's not the entirety of what Jesus is saying. I, I think he's talking about um, the times when we might, through our actions or inactions, even though we confess our faith, that we might lead others into following a Christian path that may not necessarily be Christian. Does that make sense? Uh, I, I, I hope this will, in, uh, this will make sense as we go forward. Um, I, I think, and this is where I think the spiritual arrogance comes in. Like, I, I think the American church has a lot of this in it. Uh, I think there's a lot of this uh, we're right, you're wrong kind of thing. Or we're, we're the only ones who have truly found the right way to worship God. In fact, we were watching a, a, a documentary last night, Laura and I were, uh, about this one church that was part of this movement that, you know, like they, they were certain that they had found, like, the right way to be the church in the world. Nobody else had. Like, you had to, had to come to their church in order to truly be a follower of Jesus. I think, this is, uh, I think this is something that we, we often think. Now, I don't, I don't think this is necessarily our church or the history of our church. In fact, I know that to be the case. Uh, but a couple of years ago, and it wasn't here and it wasn't with anybody part of this church, uh, our, the church I was working for at that time, we were having a church picnic. And uh, Lori and I and the boys were walking into the park uh, to go to the pavilion that our church had reserved for this picnic. And uh, the local Catholic church was also having a picnic that same day. And uh, so we had to walk past them in order to get to where we were going. And we were walking in with another family uh, that was a part of our church. And, and the, the mother of that family looked at us and said, it's a shame. They seem like such normal people. Like, it took me a while to, to, to figure out like, what exactly she meant by that, but, but I think she was saying, like, there is no possible way that these people who call themselves Catholics, uh, that they're really kind of weird, and there's no possible way that they are actually indeed Christians. And uh, I think in those moments, God has blessed me with the ability to not respond, mainly through my slowness of processing what's happened, because I think, I think if I had I understood that, like, had, it would have been bad. It, it just would have been bad. So not putting my foot in my mouth is good, although I do that often enough. I, it, it's hard for me to believe um, that, that the Catholic folks uh, who believe in the same God that we do, that worship the same Jesus, who uh, maybe do things a little bit differently, that they're not, that they're not legitimately followers of Jesus Christ. I, 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 I feel this because I think I grew up this way a little bit. I don't think it was my parents necessarily, but it was kind of the faith that I was wrapped up in around that, that thought that if anybody wasn't a Nazarene, which is our denomination, 
that they weren't a Christian and that they were wrong. Like, I remember this, there was this one girl that I wanted to date in high school, and I found out she was a Lutheran. And I was just like, no, I can't. She didn't like me anyway, so it was okay. But uh, it was that kind of thing. And in fact, when, when I was in college uh, and seminary, uh, learning all these things, theology and whatnot, you have a tendency to, well, at least I do, to process it and to, to compare it against other traditions theologically. And, and I, would, I would ramble on to Lori, and she would often, in response, maybe uninterestedly, I don't know, but she would say, Nazarenes don't hold the corner on truth. Like that. And, and I didn't realize like, just how true that was, that, that we all belong to like, one faith, right? Um, and we do ourselves a disservice when we say to other Christians, like, I'm sorry, because you think this way or act this way or believe specifically this way, there is no way that you could possibly be a Christian. Now, uh, a, a caveat, uh, there are things that we must believe, right? There, there are uh, things that the church has said from the beginning that these are the things that we must believe, that, that God is one in three, um, that, that Jesus Christ is God's son, that, he, he's, uh, that God created the world with, with words and that the world came into being and that God sent his son to, to die and to raise again and that God's, Jesus is going to come back someday to make all things right. There, is a, there are a, an essential things that we believe. So don't get me saying that like, uh, you know, anything goes because that's not what I'm saying. Uh, so I think that's... Um, I think that's what, part of what Jesus is saying here, that uh, we can't be so dogmatic about what we believe that we exclude other people just because they believe slightly differently than we do. I think that's a, a surefire sign of some spiritual arrogance of which, um, well, it's actually, it's a trap that's as old as the Pharisees. Uh, and it's as old as the religious leaders in Jesus' day because they were kind of snobbish about you know, who was actually truly following God or uh, following the law. Uh, anyway, so, I get myself a little off. Um, I think, uh, well, well, we'll come back to that. We'll go back to um, this passage here. So the second part of it. Uh, it would be better, so if you cause anybody to stumble... It would be better for you if a great millstone was hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. I, I think, maybe this is what I should have said just a second ago, I think that when we are that way, when we are exclusive in, in what we say we believe in to the exclusion of everybody, where we create categories where you are wrong and I am right and you are out and I am in, uh, that that's, a, that's a form of causing others to stumble. That, that we might suck other people into those kinds of mentalities and we fracture the church, and the body of Christ. Uh, and so Jesus is saying, don't do this, right? And if you do, the consequences are going to be severe. Now, I don't think that Jesus is actually going to tie a millstone around anybody's neck and throw them into the sea. I think he's metaphorically painting a word picture that's, that's vivid and help us to understand. This is, what, this is what Jesus is talking about. So um, that's a donkey, and you'd put the grain in the little trophy section, and the donkey would go round and round, and it would crush it and end up making flour. That is a giant stone, right? Like, I think in my mind, I'm thinking, like, 
a little stone and then like you got a rope and it's kind of like that soap on a rope that they used to have. Have you ever had that? And the, and, uh, that it would be heavy and it would take you down. But, but I think the image here, at least uh, according to the people that I've read, is more like they, the image is more like shoving your head through that central hole and then throwing you into the sea. Like, there, is, there is absolutely no opportunity for you to recover uh, from this kind of thing. Uh, uh, and so um, it would be better for you uh, rather than to... Uh, Rather than to cause someone else to stumble, it would be better for that kind of fate for you. He goes on and says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to go to hell with two hands, or to have two hands and to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. Uh, Jesus is actually making a reference to uh, an actual physical place outside of Israel, uh, outside of Jerusalem when he's talking about uh, the fire that is never quenched. It was a, it was a valley, and uh, they threw all their garbage there, and they would burn their garbage. And so that's kind of the image that he's got. Again, this is, a, this is a graphic kind of gruesome image of, but like, what's better for you? Now, I don't think that Jesus at this point is asking us to, to gouge out our eyes or to cut off our hands, literally. Uh, Lori and I knew someone one time who, uh, her eye was really wonky. And uh, it was someone we worked with. And the rumor around uh, our workplace was that she had, she had taken this passage literally and had tried to, to do this. Uh, so don't do this, okay? Don't, don't do it. But I think Jesus is helping us to understand like that our spiritual arrogance, uh, when it begins to cause us to sin, uh, we begin to lead others astray as well. And, and that we need to do whatever it might take for us uh, to not do those things. Uh, that we might, we might have the strength to not uh, well, to not sin ourselves, because I think, I think that, that oftentimes when we sin, like that has a profound effect on the people who are watching us and who are following us, for our children and our grandchildren and little kids at church. I think when we cause other peoples to stumble, uh, we, we end up bringing our own destruction too. I think it goes, goes both ways. Um, I think, uh, I think we need to take um, another caveat here, is that Jesus' words, um, while they are harsh, like, he's not saying there's no coming back from these kinds of things. Uh, that, that even though you might do really bad things and lead other people astray, that there is grace and forgiveness. Uh, that we might uh, be able to turn from the things that we have done uh, and continue to follow Jesus. Now, we, we say that kind of thing a lot. Um, I, think that, I think that this passage resonates with me uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, I think one is because... Let me back up for a second. Uh, so sometimes things don't come out like they're supposed to. 
Like in, in, in worship practice this morning, nobody could remember anybody's name. Uh, it happened. So that's, that's kind of what, sometimes it doesn't flow like you want it to. I never got to the second part of what I think that spiritual arrogance. Uh, we said the first part was, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm in, I'm in you're out. Uh, I think the second part of this is, uh, is the judgmental hypocrisy, right? Um, that we end up acting a certain way uh, to the detriment of those who are watching us. I've said that already. Uh, and I think, I think there are a whole host of people out here, a whole generation maybe, that have watched the Christianity of those around them and who have seen a significant disconnect uh, between what they say they believe and how they act. Does that make sense? I think that's part of what Jesus is dealing with here. I, I think he's, he's thinking, he's looking at the, the Pharisees, and he says this kind of explicitly a couple of different times, that like, that you in your practice of religion have gotten it wrong. And you are causing other people to stumble. You say you believe, you say you love God, and you love others, but you're really not. And so I think that's I think it's part of what's happening here. And I, I think this is why this passage resonates with me on a couple of levels, like I just said. I think one, I think I grew up in a, in a, in a context where... Uh, there was in-groups and out-groups of Christians. Uh, and, and I think that I, that, I, that I, and I still suffer that from that, I think a little bit, that I have a tendency to look at other Christians uh, and other faith traditions and be like, well, they don't have it right. Uh, we obviously do. Uh, I, I think it's something that I work on quite a bit. Uh, and, and so I think there is this, this personal kind of thing. But at the same time, I've, I've, also, been, uh, I've also been tempted by the behavior of Christians that have been around me, to say something like, if that's what Christianity is like, then I want absolutely nothing to do with it. I'm having a hard time articulating this because I I feel it in my bones and it's hard to, well, it's hard to to communicate that sometimes. Uh, But sometimes I I look, and this still happens, I look out at, at some Christians who have, well, I don't know, it's hard not to be judgmental on this. I, I'm really trying not to be because I've, I'm guilty of this as well. Uh, but this, that say things or do things in the name of Christ, and I say, oh, I, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like that. I don't want to be associated with that. I, if that's really what it is, I don't, I don't want it. I think, um, I, I, I think that I have been I question that way. Uh, not when people have challenged me to, to really seek to love God with all that I have. Uh, and not when people have, have challenged me to love others in the way that Jesus has loved me. I have not felt that way when people have called me to live like a moral and upright life to where I am allowing the Spirit to, to work in my life to root out the sinfulness and the selfishness that's in me. I haven't felt that when people have called me to, to live a life of, of holiness. I haven't felt that way when people have encouraged me to open the scriptures and read it with, a, with an open mind, to not be, uh, well, to really, to allow it to read me, to have it challenge me, have its words speak to me so that I might be and 
the Christian that God is calling me to be. I have, however, felt that way when I see Christians or be encouraged, uh, encourage folks to exercise purity without love and grace and forgiveness. I have felt that way when, when Christians end up supporting causes and organizations that say they love Jesus, but who constantly, through their actions, like, demonstrate that they don't care for the widow or the orphan or the poor or the stranger. I, I don't know. Maybe you don't see these things. Maybe this is just me. But I have enough friends that are uh, actually like me um, that, that see these same things. Uh, friends who have left the ministry because of these things. Friends who have completely left the faith. I think Jesus is saying, we go back to the very beginning here. If anybody put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, I think Jesus is saying that your Christian life, the way you live it out, it matters not just for your own salvation and your own spiritual growth, but it matters for everybody else around you. I think the second reason this passage resonates with me is because it kind of speaks to some hopes and maybe even some fears that I have. It, it speaks to my fear that I will be like those who have uh, who've caused me to question my own faith. Uh, it speaks to, to my fear that my children at the end of my days will look at me and say, if that's what it means to be Christian, I don't want anything to do with it. It speaks to my hope. Maybe I should have started with that. It's my hope that my kids and my wife and your children and you and everyone in this church will say, ah, this is, this is a place that exudes the love of God. This is a place where, where people truly do love God and love others in in the way that Christ has loved them. I, I don't know if I've chopped up this passage too, in the wrong way. But I think if we are concerned about anything in this world, if we are concerned about the state of America, if we are concerned about schools or whatever, the very, very, very best way for you to exercise any kind of strength in this world is for you to live the kind of compassionate, gracious, loving life that Christ has called us to. In the context of this entire uh, section, I think it's really a question of power. And I think we have a choice. We can be like the Pharisees or maybe even the disciples at, at, at some times that understand God's kingdom to work in the same way that the kingdom of man works through coercion and oppression and political power and all of those things. 
Or we can choose to live more and more like Christ. Uh, and I tried, to, I tried to quote this this last time I preached, two weeks ago. We have a choice to seek the power of the kingdom. And I mean, this is Philippians 2. The power of God's kingdom that is different, that, that does nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but that in humility regards others as better than ourselves. That's Paul. He goes on a little bit farther and says, and he encourages us to look not, own, not to our own interests, but to the interests of others. And his prayer is that the same mind that was in Jesus Christ would be in you. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be exploited. He didn't take his power as God and lord it over other people. He didn't take his power as God to overthrow the Romans. He took his power as God to empty himself. Taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. If you don't want to stumble, if you don't want to scandalize your children and your children's children and the people sitting beside you, then this is who we have to be. We have to seek the power of the kingdom of God, which is the opposite of spiritual arrogance. It is humility. It is saying, I am a sinner who has been saved by God's gracious love. And then I believe things and I hold some beliefs very, very firmly, but yet, but yet I still love you if you think differently and act differently than I do. Uh, it's, it's a posture that says, I know what, what's happening with me and I just want you to have the same thing, but I'm not going to ostracize you because you're different. Um, humility. I think that's hard. Uh, Lori's always said um, that pastors are arrogant. She's, she's right. Most of them are. But if we want to be the church, if I want to be the pastor that I've been called to be, if I want to be the father and the husband and hopefully someday the grandfather that I feel God has called me to, then I have to have the same mind that was in Christ. We're going to um, do a little bit of guided prayer again. We've been doing this. And then um, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper and have a song. Um, so I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to reflect on some things and to pray and then, then we'll, we'll go on our way. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word, your 
gift of grace to us. Thank you that, um, well, even though we aren't perfect, and even though we operate from a place of arrogance spiritually and otherwise all too often that, that none of us are too far gone, uh, that we might say um, with the psalm we read at the beginning, restore us, O Lord. Let your face shine upon us so that we might be saved. Lord, we are blind often to our own arrogance, uh, to the ways in which we divide the body of Christ, like creating in and out, right and wrong, over things that really don't matter. And so we ask, um, we ask that you would reveal to us if we have been spiritually arrogant, the ways in which we have, uh, that you might in this moment help us to see what those things are. And as we are made aware that we might repent and confess. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.